Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Walk On Mentality. Tonight, we have a former teammate of ours, a current brother of ours from UCF, an ambassador for the brand. You may have seen him chip shots on the TV. You may see him with his uh, machine guns after a big punt flipping the field. Everyone, please welcome Mac Laddermilk to the show. Mac, what's up, man? What's up, guys? How's it going? The legend himself. Yeah, we're doing welcome, great. Bro. We appreciate you. thanks for having me fellas yeah man no problem yeah man but let's get straight into it Tristan go ahead I interrupted you I saw that deep breath go ahead bro it's fine bro cool Mac so talk to us man like what you've been up to since since UCF what what, what's what's it looking like yeah man so uh I just free agent life right now um working little part-time jobs here and there earning earning cash to go to these all these uh exposure camps and then after work, it's coming home, eating, training, get my st- keeping my body right for uh, whatever happens, whenever it happens. So just trying to stay mentally and physically ready 24-7, 365 for whenever that my phone rings and a team says, hey, let's do a workout or we need you to come kick for us this week or something like that. Stay, stay ready so you don't got to get ready, man. I, f- I feel you. I feel exactly you. right. Got another option right now. All these other guys are enjoying their vacation and their time off. But for me, it's... Another day, another grind, getting after it. Definitely. And, Matt, tell us about your journey at UCX. I remember you came in. You were like a tight end receiver. You were the everything man when you came in. So how did that journey come yeah. from you being the journeyman to the livest punter in college football? <laughs> tell us about that journey. So when I was recruited to UCF, I was offered as a punter slash tight end H back. So like all in high school, I played quarterback. I played everything on the offense besides offensive line, pretty much. I was a tight end my senior year. So I guess you could even include me as an offensive lineman in some formations. But, uh, you know, I just, I was offered by every school as a punter slash tight end H back. And so it was, it came down between UCF and Navy, and I ended up choosing UCF because I wasn't exactly sure about the military service four years after college. And uh, UCF was closer to home at the time. I was in Valdosta, Georgia, which is like right above the Florida Georgia line. And so uh, parents, could, or I could even come home if I wanted to. It's a three-hour drive. I can come home every weekend if I felt like it. But, uh, yeah, I came to UCF. Uh, I spent the whole off-season training my senior year, my last senior year of high school, um, get my body ready to play some fullback and some tight end H-back. So I was a pretty hefty dude stepping on campus. And then uh, I get there. I'll never forget. They shook my hand and said, all right, you ready to punt for us? And I go, yeah, when can I hit somebody? And they go, no, don't don't worry about that. You want to punt for us. So I said, okay. And then uh, just – and that was really my first year of UCF was – really learning how to be a specialist, so to say, because I never did any like certain workouts to work just my leg swing. Like I was a super raw uh, punter coming out of high school. I didn't really have a great form, great technique. And so uh, it's kind of sitting back behind Caleb House and gave me a chance to learn what it is to be a true specialist. And even throughout my entire career at UCF, I was still learning how to be a punter because I was I was kind of behind the eight ball because these guys coming out of high school have been doing nothing but punting or playing soccer their whole life, not really doing quarterback, tight end, receiver, fullback, all that kind of stuff, not learning an offense in their spare time. And then uh, it's just kind of 
learning as I went, going by the seat of my pants, learning a new skill every week to kind of put it into a game. I never forget Frost first year. I kind of learned how to do my my pit my pooch punts and everything. So that was, that was a big thing for me. And then even Frost first year, I played on the front line of the KOR. And I just wanted to, to play football. I mean, I told Frost when I we all had those one on one meetings with Frost when he first got there. And I was like, "Hey, coach, you know, I I was recruited here to be a, a punter slash tight end H back. You know, I just I want a shot. If I can't do it, that's fine. I just want to be able to say I tried to play this position." at the D1 level and I caught a touchdown pass in the spring game but that was uh, that was the only snap I ever saw as far as uh, the punter or the tight end reps go but yeah it was just uh, and then now like even after college last my first year out of college I was nowhere near ready to be in the NFL to be honest like I, I was good but I wasn't consistent and so this whole like year and a half two year span it's just been nothing but me honing in on my skill set really learning like how to be a true professional punter how to how to know what your body's feeling on a certain day and knowing what punt's going to work for you in a certain situation and that's kind of just what I go out with and, and train every day in certain situations making my body be repeatable making my swing be repeatable no matter what the wind is or how cold it is or how hot it is just trying to be dependent and consistent with my leg swing and my ball flights so it's been a been a weird journey to be honest it's been you know kind of a jack of all trades master of none at some as some would say but uh it's getting more more towards the mastery part with punting a uh, day-by-day thing just kind of picking up on little things as i go yeah well let's let's dive into that a little bit talking about being yeah. a, a peer specialist and educate the folks that may not understand the all the roles that go into football of the importance of special teams and being a specialist like what the practices look like or what the weights look like because outside looking in and be like oh the kickers don't really do anything it's it's just special teams like you only yeah. have a job type of thing uh what would you say to them and how would you educate them on all the intricacies that go into that i would say normally we we are specialists because we specialize in one thing there's a reason why your quarterback's not your punter there's a reason why your are is not your kicker there's a reason why your starting center isn't your long snappers it's, it's different you have to specialize in these fields to to be good and uh i think whenever duval got there he kind of let us choose as far as you know like what kind of weight group we want to do what kind of program do we want to do do we want to do the conditioning with you guys and ultimately yeah we did because we wanted to still be part of a team and that's just how our specialist group was and uh, so we still did all the same weights as you guys did. But then whenever Hypel came in and, uh, and brought uh, Schmidt with him, it was more kind of tailored to being a true specialist. And we didn't do the same list or the same conditioning as you guys did. And uh, it was more specialized, more of a niche type of workout system, working the, the stabilizing muscles in the hips and the abdomen and all that kind of stuff to where – like during the morning workouts, you guys would be pushing sleds and running five, 10, five, doing different type of agility drills for us. It was more or less building our core, um, kind of building explosive movements with plyometrics and being able to stop and start off a of one foot, being able to explode off of that kind of stuff. But even then it was uh, our practices, you know, under frost, we had DeWitt, who was also the linebackers coach. We didn't really have a true specialist coach. So, I mean, we kind of, we, we did what we needed to do that we thought to get us ready. 
And then when Hypel came, we had a true a special teams coach and a, a QC that followed us around, Coach Odom. Shout out, Coach Odom. And uh, just kind of, you know, kept the eye on us, gave us some new things to work on. Everything was more or less kind of scripted. We knew what to expect every practice as far as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday went. And then uh, and then Saturday was game time. And then but I, another thing, like most of the time, you don't really know who a specialist is unless they mess up or unless they're really good. Like Matt Wright being the leading scorer. People know who Matt Wright is just because he's the leading scorer in UCF football history. People know who I am because I didn't really mess up a whole lot. So they think, and I, 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 I kind of had a, a niche with pinning the people and my um, attitude, my, personality on the field people can kind of connect with that but people people didn't know who Caleb Perez was and that's bad but it's also good because he was such a good long snapper no one could ever say oh it's the long snapper's fault but he was he was always the first one down in coverage on punt team making a play forcing a fair catch nine times out of ten and so I mean it was it's it's a thankless job when you do it well to be honest no one knows who the long snapper is typically no one really knows who the punter or kicker is until they screw up and botch a kick or botch a punt. But, uh, you know, it's, it's different for everybody. Everybody's journey is different. I would just say, you know, to be a specialist, you truly have to specialize. And it's until I always see people comment, well, I could have made that kick. I was like, okay, why aren't you out there doing it then? How come you did at any, how come at D1, D2, D3, how come you didn't go kick a football through the uprights if it's so easy? Why, why are you in the stands right now talking smack about an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid? playing a game you know it's that kind of stuff rubs me the wrong way that people don't think that we're actual football players I mean like I was I was frontline KOR team busting skulls you know having time of my life but I'm still a punter still the backup punter you know I mean it is what it is but yeah it's just uh specialists man we we truly are like we're special on the football field we we control field position we control points when you're good enough, you can pin guys on the sideline and not even let it, the guy return the ball two yards. You know, it's just it's, it's different skill sets. There's a reason why we are who we are and why we're also kind of weird and do the things that we do. I, one thing I'll say, especially with our group, like the specialists, we never mm -hmm. let you guys a specialist. You guys were always like brothers to us. Like we knew Mac was going to yeah. turn up and get live. We knew Caleb was going to get down there. We knew Matty Ice was going to ice the game out you guys were never it was never the team and the specialist it was we were all one thing and that yeah plays to account of what you guys did like you said being at workouts with us lifting the same weights we do you didn't want to separate yourself from the team and that stood out a lot to us yeah at the back end it's like well they're doing it we got to do it and you see how it turned up we would get when you make a punt pin it inside the 20 yard line and you celebrate we were yeah. on the side celebrating with you it was a whole <laughs> brotherhood and we definitely yeah. appreciate you, especially your character, who you are, Mac. Like we, when you got excited, we fed off that. Like when you made a play, the team made a play. Everything you did, yeah. we fed off of that. So yeah. when people think specialists are these like weird people, some, I'm not gonna lie. Some teams specialists are weird, but yeah. for us, we were so banded as a brother, brotherhood that you just another play on the field. It's nothing new to us, but I want to point out one yeah, thing. That's like, I, I Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I wanted to point out, like, we we took pride, me, Caleb, and Matt, and mentoring the younger guys, like, we made sure that they knew, like, 
don't be just specialists. Be football players who 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 specialize in certain things, but don't be what people typically think of as a specialist. Don't be that group that kind of, you know, just offs themselves away from the weight room and away from the team. And then whenever you mess up, now they can turn around and say, oh, they're never doing what we're doing. That's the biggest thing that we took part. We never wanted guys to look at us and say that we weren't sweating, throwing up, bleeding with them in the weight room on the practice field and during conditioning. So that way that they could turn and say, well, they're not doing what we're doing. So that's why they're messing up. No, I mean, we're humans too. We're going to mess up. It's going to happen. But we wanted that, like, to have that accountability with the other with our other brothers. That way they know that, you know, we truly have what's best for the team in our hearts whenever we go out there on that field. We're not trying to throw a game. We're not trying to shank and punt. We're not trying to miss a field goal or kick a kickoff out of bounds. That's going to happen. We're, we're humans. We mess up. But we just want to have that accountability to you guys who are doing, honestly, more physically impressive things with your bodies and running downfield and just taking on massive collisions whenever we kick a ball, to be honest. Like that's, that's the, and that was our way of just kind of showing our respect to you guys and laying your bodies on the line for letting us do what we do. Definitely. And it, and it showed. It definitely showed. But the point I wanted to come back to, is you said previously, that coming out that you knew you weren't prepared for the league, how did you take a step back and humble yourself to a sense like, I know I want to play, but I know right now I'm not ready. How was your mindset going into that? What, yes. How did you humble yourself? So, you know, I, all right, let's be totally upfront and honest. When I came out of college, I thought I was going to get signed to an NFL team because of my personality. I, I thought that the, the, the golf shot, the baseball flip, the pin in them inside the tent, I thought my, how I acted on Twitter, what I post on Instagram, I thought that my social media, small celebrity personality was going to get me signed to an NFL team. And then, Pro day rolls around and I, I it wasn't a complete failure. I, I hit some good balls, but I, I hit two bad punts going to the right consecutively, and they're like 36 yard punts out of bounds, but still it's not it's not pro caliber. And then uh, I got to Tampa Bay rookies mini camp and I had four kicks in three days. Two days really, they cut the last day short. So I had four kicks in two days. And that was my four kicks to show that, you know, I could I could do what I need to do to be an NFL team's punter. But uh, it didn't go amazingly. I hit decent. I turned all my balls over and I had good location, but I was so busy trying to hit this huge, like 50 yard ball, five, two second hang that my body wasn't able to do it yet because my form sucked. And so I wasn't as consistent as I needed me to be. And you got to realize like, yeah, I was decent as a college punter, but I, I wasn't consistently putting the ball on or outside the numbers, matching my hangs to my distances every time. And that's been the big thing for me. Like my senior year of college, I was so enthralled with trying just to hit this huge, massive 50-yard punt that flew in the air for five seconds. And that's really hard to do. And so like now it's more or less – let me hit the ball 45 yards with four, eight, four, nine hang. And if it gets to five, Oh, that's, that's a plus. But like, I know that in NFL, if you can't cover 45 yards in 4.8 seconds, 4.9 seconds, you more than likely probably shouldn't be on that cover unit. And then another big moment for me was last year before, right before COVID hit, I went to a camp out in Arizona 
And it was a little windy that day, and I let the wind get in my mind. And my technique went to absolute hell in a handbasket. It was terrible. I looked like I was a middle schooler trying to kick a ball out there. Like I couldn't get the ball up in the air. It wouldn't spiral. It wasn't me. And coming back from that trip, I was so close in saying, you know what, this ain't for me. Let's hang the cleats up. Let's start coaching. Let's do something else. But then just kind of took three or four days sitting back and going out to the field and just hitting a couple balls for what I thought would be the last time I ever hit a ball, to be honest. And I was consistent. And I knew that, you know, that from that moment, yeah, I had a bad day. I did, it wasn't a bad career. It wasn't career altering. You know, just use that lesson to be better. So this whole year I've spent every single time I go to the field, if the wind, I don't care how bad the wind's blowing, I'm going to hit some balls, you know, but, Last year, if the wind was blowing 10 miles an hour, now nah, let's not hit today. Let's go home instead and stretch and work out and do all that other stuff. But I wasn't getting comfortable in the wind in those type of situations where, let's say if I go play for the Browns or in Buffalo or in Chicago or in those windy cities in the winter when it's 39, 20 degrees, wind's blowing 12, 15 miles an hour, how can I ask my body to perform if I don't train in that type of weather? And so it was stepping back and looking at that saying, if I truly want to do this, if I truly want to be an NFL specialist, if I want to be an NFL punter, I have to be comfortable in the uncomfortable situations. I have to go out there and make my body be able to perform when the wind's blowing 16, 17, 18 miles an hour and it's 32 degrees outside and the ball feels like a rock coming off your foot. And you have to understand that whenever you hit that ball, you know, if it doesn't go 50 yards in the air, that's fine. It's freezing. The ball's not going to fly as far. Not every rep's going to be perfect, but your location has to bail you out. You better be pretty close to the sidelines or else Cordell Patterson's going to house that thing on you and you're going to be on whatnot or SEC, like not top 10, you know? And so it's just kind of understanding what being a true professional is. And Tristan, you're in this mastery class with me or my, our motivational class when uh, Dr. Fisher talked about the pursuit of mastery. And it's like, for me, it took two years after I had that class to really understand what it means to be in the pursuit of mastery. Like I'm never going to be perfect in punting. The ball can always be one yard farther and can hang in the air for half a second longer. But as long as I keep pushing the envelope and getting to where it's a 45-4-9. Okay, well, now let's see if I can do like a 46-5-0 consistently, then a 47-4-5-1 consistently. If I can keep pushing the envelope and pushing my body's limits to what it can do, then there's, there's no set goal for me to reach. It's just keep chipping and keep chipping and setting the bar higher and higher, kind of like how Frost told us, as long as we keep raising that bar day by day, there's nothing that we can't do as a, as a program or as an individual. And that's kind of when I became obsessed with the grind, so to say. Like now I love waking up 6 a.m., going to work, coming home, eating lunch, working out and kicking. Like that's, that's my daily habit. And I love it. I love this grind so much. And I'm so glad that I did not let this little mental midget inside my mind talk me out of pursuing my childhood dream of being an NFL specialist. That's that's awesome and that that it's uh it reminds me of a quote it's like your your best will always beat someone else's interpretation of perfection mm-hmm. yeah you know, without a doubt consistently raising that bar like our coach taught us and that's actually a good segue to my next question is you know me and you came in in the same class 
Um, so we've had the esteemed opportunity to have three different head coaches, three yeah. different strength staffs. Um, what was that like? And what would you say would, was the biggest difference, the biggest contributing factor to our team's success among those three different staffs? Um, I would say the biggest difference is O'Leary, O'Leary was a good coach. Don't get me wrong. I love O'Leary and I thank O'Leary for giving me the shot to play D1 college football on scholarship. I will never, ever say anything bad about Coach O'Leary and the man that he is and how he coached. But he led with more of an authoritarian style, I guess you could say. Like, he, he led with fear for the most part. You know, it was always getting your face, yelling, demanding. Torres, when Frost came in, it was more or less of like, we kind of understand that you're not going to be perfect every single play. You're going to mess up. You're human. You're, you're not robots. You're not programmed. You're 21, 22 years old at the most. You're old kids. So we know you're going to mess up. And it was just kind of that relief of knowing that there's not a whole lot of pressure. Um, as long as you mess up and if you're going 100 miles an hour, it is what it is. Scrap it onto the next play. And it was like just how they how coach frost preached brotherhood and how he preached fighting for the brother to your left and to your right and it's not about playing for frost it's about playing for you tristan it's about playing for you will it it was about making sure that what i did on the field you know set y'all up for success it wasn't about coach get, get moving up or anything is like making sure that we took care of each other out on that field don't leave your brother hanging out the dry if your brother's lagging pick him up and bring him up to the front with you, you know? And then my biggest thing was our last year, Tristan, we went to the Fiesta Bowl and everyone's talking about, for me personally, whenever they're saying how we couldn't do, do it again because Frost wasn't our head coach and we didn't start out in their rankings as high because Frost left, that guy was a slap in the face because at the end of the day, Frost is a great coach. DeWitt is a great coach. All those guys are great coaches. Don't get me wrong. I love those guys. But those guys were not on that field playing those games, executing those plays, how they needed to be executed to win. It was us. And so I think I had a chip on my shoulder my senior year whenever Hypo came in. I wanted to show the world that it wasn't the coaching staff before that won those games. It was, it was the boys in the pads on the field. And I think that was kind of the atmosphere in the whole locker room is we didn't want to show a letdown from Frost to Hypel. We wanted to show it was the players who were playing that went out there and executed those plays the way they need to be executed to get those wins. When it got messy, when it got sticky, as O'Leary would say, we were there in the trenches fighting, making sure that we did what we had to do to come out with a W at the end of the day. And I think that was the biggest difference. I kind of think, I don't know, and I, I don't want to speak for the teams, the past two teams and their hypo because I'm not in the locker room with them. I don't know what the team culture was like, but I don't know if they had that same chip on their shoulder to go out and show the world that we're, we, are the, we are this good. We are these type of dudes that are going to go out there and play with the best of the best, no matter what stage it is. We're going to go out there and we're going to hit you in the mouth. We're going to say, bring it on. You know, I don't know how that, how their culture was or how their attitude was, but that's how my mindset was on my last year at UCF. Yes, definitely, definitely true in all aspects of everything you just said. And I want to ask you this question because I know, we talked about brotherhood, but you also talked about how on your last year, upon you thought your social media would carry you to the league. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about social media now and how 
high school athletes coming to college are kind of turning into more me than we, what would mm-hmm. be your advice to a student athlete coming into a team, focusing on themselves? What would you tell them before they walk into that locker room in college? I would say you better realize real quick that it is now a business and everyone is replaceable no matter who you are. Mm. Like when, when I love Casey to death, but when Casey went down, what'd they go do? They went and got his back up at the same high school that he went to that broke all his records and brought him in. Mm-hmm. Whenever, you know, whenever Trey Quan was done, what they do, they brought in four other receivers to try to go break his records and to try to throw his stats under the bus. Like it's, it's a business, you know, in three to four years, whoever's starting at that time is going to be forgotten. Like it's, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's a, it is a revolving door business. Is, so for me, in thinking that social media means something more than what it actually does at the time, it hindered me. I, I, I fell into the trap of thinking that this will carry me, not what's happening on the field, but what's happening in my cell phone in my hands. That's just going to get me there. At the end of the day, you have to play. If you don't play, you don't, you know, there's, there's no more dream. There's no, there's no next step. And so I think when, when this, when let's say a freshman gets to college, you better realize real quick, you are now an 18 year old kid, kid competing with, 22, 23-year-old men who some have children, some have families, mm-hmm. and you're not the same at the same level that these dudes are who are five years older than you, who have had five more years of testosterone pumped into them, who have been four or five years into a college weightlifting program. Like, you're, you're the bottom of the totem pole, big guy, and you honestly, you have one – one summer and a spring to show that you belong in college football or else you, you stay at the bottom of the totem pole. You'll be able to see playing time. And I think people like these kids in the real like it's what you see on Saturdays is the culmination of a lot of hard work and a lot of time studying tape and a lot of time doing the little extra things to get your four or five plays on the offense, on the defense, or if not, you're going to be on the special teams fighting week in and week out to keep your spot on that special team. Mm-hmm. And these kids need to realize real quick, these coaches love you during recruitment. But once you get there, you're a number and you can and will be replaced if you don't meet the expectations. Like they have, no matter who the coach is, like college football's dirty. And I, I wish it would get not ex- exploited into the media, but people have like a real understanding of what college athletics is. It's a billion dollar business to where the college athletes don't really see any of that billion dollars. They get to see the buildings and the uniforms and here's your stipend check twice every semester to keep your mouth shut. They're saying that we're giving you a piece of the cheese, but it's a billion dollar business. And us as athletes, we're a dime a dozen. If we don't work out, okay, pull a scholarship, bring someone else in. That's how it works. That's how it is. It's dirty, but it is what it is, you know? So when you come in as a freshman, be on your P's and Q's. You watch the guy who is the number one top dog, and you get in his hip pocket, and you emulate whatever he does. If he goes and watches film, you be there. You pester him. Learn whatever you can from that guy, So if, if especially if you're a walk-on. Because now, instead of having a, a spring and a summer camp, you may have two or three reps at the beginning of spring whenever special team starts to show that you're an athlete and you can play at a D1 level. And then once you get on that special teams, now they got to try to find a way to wiggle you into the offensive or defensive depth chart to pull you onto the travel bus 
and not leave your skinny little tail back at the weight room at 8 a.m. in the morning on a Friday. Nice. It's cutthroat, but it is what it is. You better you better come and be ready to execute at some certain level or else you're going to be bottom of the totem pole for the rest of your college career. Yeah, Mac, whew, you just you just laid out a whole bunch of gems for the, for the people. And like mm-hmm. that's you bring up such a good point. Like it's it's cyclical, like each spring or each summer uh, or fall camp. If you're not that guy, if you're not already having a position, you have only a few reps. And if yep. you don't show and prove those few reps, you're going to wait until spring or if it's spring, yep. you're going to wait until the next camp because mm-hmm. they don't have time to like keep playing with you and give you reps and stuff like once their mind is made up of you for the next, for the next six months on that's who you are yeah so you have to be ready at all times whether it's a special teams rep or like on offense or defense like you know back when i was a fourth string or third string i'd get maybe maybe six reps a whole practice yeah and if those were perfect next practice i might get eight I might get 10 then i might get 12 but you mess up one of them you're done. Like, you're done. You yeah. out. You're done, Ace. You can't. You can't play. Can't play. Can't play. Coach can't play. Say, can't play. Can't play. <laughs> and can't play. For the viewers and listeners at home, when Tristan says he only got six reps, that's six reps out of 120 reps in the practice. So they're very, very, very limited. So counter blessings if you get one rep. Honestly. There's guys that are on the field that are the bottom depth chart to get no reps. They don't even get looked yeah, at or thought about. Let's see. There's what? There's 85 scholarship players on a D1 college football team, and then there's what another 25, 30 walk-ons, who are and they're all competing for 128 reps. So I mean, that's there's not enough reps to go around. You know, Dude, it man. is what it is. Dude, man. And, and then and then from there, like you could be on scholarship and never see the field too. This is, there's a ton of guys that happens to. Yeah, on offense, defense, special teams, you can only have 11 at one time playing. Yeah. Travel squad, as we know, you know, it's too deep, and then maybe a handful of extra guys who are just special teams guys. Yeah. So you're looking at 50 to 60 guys max. That's less than half the squad sometimes. Yeah. You know, there's <laughs> so, high school teams that have that travel more kids to games, man. That's true. Yeah. Like and in the NFL, now it's 53 guys in the NFL. So it yeah. goes from your your 85 scholarship limit, now it's 53. You know, like that's that's and it's, it's wild. And if, if you don't play, then probably not going to get paid that much longer if you don't play. Exactly. That's like what you, it is. It's like good. you said, Matt, it's a business. And I'm glad I asked you that question because I know you're a straight shooter and you're going to tell it straighter than anybody I know. And yeah. If there's anyone to listen to or anything you just said out of this podcast, that's important right there because it is, <laughs> it is such a business and people, like you said, they see the lights, the cameras, the social media. But behind that, when you close the doors, we're all in the building, it's strictly business. We've seen plenty of people that know we should play, don't play. We've seen plenty of people leave, quit, transfer. It's a circle and we end up forgetting them even though they were our teammates, we ended up forgetting them by just another guy cycled in. And it's not on purpose, but like you said, it's the business how it works. It's crazy. It's how it goes. And I'll never, I'll never forget one of – I'm not going to say the coach's name because I don't want to put him out there, but he was a weight coach with O'Leary. And it was like one of our first 
Fridays, I think. He goes, you know, boys, recruiting's a lot like foreplay. Everything feels good. It's nice. But now that you're here, it's time to get it on. And, like, when he said that, I kind of made me, like, click in my mind, like, oh, this is really about to – it was really about to go down and it, was, and it was one of the worst workouts I ever had to be a part of, but it was just like, yeah, now you're here, you're ours. You know, we can do what we want. So let's, let's get after it. Straight <laughs> up. Straight up. I, I, I remember that. Um, but, but to that point, like it is a business and you cannot take it personal. You, you can't because what happens is, you know, coming out of high school, we're all that guy. We're all that, we're all the man. Or yeah. we're, we're all the woman that we did all the sports. We did everything. We were that, that person. And everyone's all state. Everyone's yeah. all region. Everyone's yeah. all sectional, then, whatever it is. And then on, we get that, on that college team. And now it's. Yeah. And now we're not playing, but we, we make the, the mistake of tying our value and our identity towards playing time or coaches liking us or, mm-hmm. or scoring or just playing a lot. And when that doesn't happen, some sometimes as student athletes we look at our value as less than or our identity as taken or less than and that's the mistake we need to change because that's these are two separate things yes that is a part of you but that's not the only reason why you're at this school that's not the only reason why uh, you're playing football so that's one of the messages the main messages me and Mike try to pound home is figure out what else it is about you that makes you special and how can you amplify that through your platform as a student athlete? Yeah, you know? because athletics ends at some point for everyone, whether if you play, if your last snap is in high school, if your last snap is in college, or if you get to go on and play three years in the NFL, which is like above average for the most part. I think the, the average NFL career is like two years and four mm-hmm. games or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then like no one really lasts past five years, to be honest. But if you get to have a five-plus year career in the NFL, like, you're one of the very few, but football is going to end sooner or later. And you better have at least some type of idea what you want to do once you play your last snap, to be honest. Don't get caught up in the limelight of being a college athlete, because to be honest, it ain't all that great. Every little move you make is going to be criticized. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not worth it. I'll never forget. I went to a camp after uh, college out in Texas, a showcase camp. And talk to a scout for the Bills, and he asked me if I had an alcohol problem. I go, no. I mean, I enjoy beer every now and then, but I'm not an alcoholic. And he goes, so, like, the whole, like, shotgunning beer celebration, all that stuff like that, that's not a true reflection of you? I was like, no, it was just something that people kind of enjoyed, and it was it's a, it's a character for the most part, you know? It's, it's not truly who I am. Like, I, I don't depend on alcohol to get me through the day or anything, but Social media, it, it blew it up and made it seem what real life really is when that ain't out. That ain't really what's up with me. You know, I mean, it, it is what it is, but I had that, I guess, that's what I'm looking for. I guess that image of being this persona, yeah. alcoholic specialist, I guess. Yeah, that persona, and, but that wasn't really who I was, but I let social media make me into that, sadly. And now it's trying to dig myself out of that and showing that I, I mean business when I'm on that field. Yeah, it's fun, but I'm there to get the job done when I'm out there. Yeah, it's a tough balance between being yourself and being your true self, which you were on the field all the time, but also college is a business. Social media runs like a business. 
you make that wrong move, one mistake, they will mm-hmm. tag you as that person for the rest of your life, even if that's not you. Yep. Like you just said yourself, coach said, are you alcoholic? I, I'm not, but social media puts you in that category. They pushed you in that just because it can get them some likes and some hits, not caring about what it does to you in the future. And it's just the nature of the beast yeah. is how the game goes. So we got to find a balance of finding our true identity and being ourselves and showing out in the field, but also knowing we're under a magnifying glass. Anything we do mm-hmm. will be thrown back in our face, no matter what it is. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a tough position to be in athletics. especially and it will be taken out of context. Easy, out of 10. easy, easy. 11 out of 10. College athletics is not an easy thing to be in. It's only for the strong. And I think nowadays the culture is changing to where, especially with the transport of people are in and out, in and out, in and out. And it's, hurting people in the long run. Like even for example, if Keem were to leave, like honestly he should have, but he stuck it out. And now look at him, he's successful. But a lot of people nowadays don't have the fight yeah. because social media is so prevalent and whatever looks good and flashy, kids jump to it. And I think that's the problem we're starting yeah. to have now. It's what we're trying to fight and combat me and Tristan and having you being a straight shooter and saying on the podcast is the best thing kids can listen to is coming from someone who's done it, lived it, in it right now. That's the most important thing. And then we definitely appreciate you sharing the knowledge because, like I said, you've been there. You've done that. We've been together. We've been from 0-12 to undefeated. We know exactly what it's like, exactly what it's like. So we definitely appreciate everything you said, man. Hey man, no problem. So I, I, I would, I would gain nothing by lying to these kids. You know, I mean, it's, someone's got to tell them the truth sooner or later. And whether they choose to listen or not, that's up to them. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. So I'm going to tell them how it is. Same way I coached at the high school last year, I let them know like everything's cool here at the high school. Like you can be all buddy buddy with these coaches. And we had kids who signed to ECU, Clemson, Georgia. Like I mean, they were, they were dudes. But like you better realize, like once you're there, you have your freshman camp. And you have spring to show that you can play college ball. If you don't take advantage of those opportunities, the next recruiting cycle is getting put above you right then. You're no longer the top dog at this school. I don't care how I don't care if you're 6'5, 310, 6'1, run a 4'3, 40. Like they'll they'll find somebody to replace you. They won't, and they won't hesitate to do it. Yep. They'll go get three more just like it. Yep. Especially at Georgia and Clemson. <laughs> One of them is gonna pan out. Yeah. Man, that is the truth. But Mac, before we leave, we have to mm-hmm. do our special segment. I hope you're ready for this. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. Yeah. I don't know if it's not an answer. You have to answer the question. So okay. the question is, who are your top three favorite music artists right now? Right now? Right now. Ooh. Um, I like Co Wetzel. He's a little Country, southern rock type guy, blues, Texas country. Um, Hardy is a really good music artist. I love he's kind of country as well. But uh, let's see, one more. I have to say Foo Fighters. Oh. Good rock music. Yeah, love me some Foo Fighters. Whenever a workout's going on, Foo Fighters is getting played to get my mind right. There you go. I like it, the Foo Fighters. Nice. Oh, yeah. Well, Mac, man, we appreciate you coming on this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it first. Mac, the straight shooter, the master of analogies. He put down some gems <laughs> on this podcast. He 
pretty much pulled back the curtain of what college athletics is. And if you didn't listen to it, then prepare yourself for a rude awakening. But Mac, thank you for being on. And this has been another episode of Walk On Mentality. Thank you.